0: All right. if you have your Bible, please turn to Galatians 5. We'll be continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Today we are talking about cultivating goodness. And so we'll read as we've been reading every week during this series from Galatians 5 a passage on walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. So Galatians 5 beginning in verse 16. Oh, Father, thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Would you help us even now? Would you meet with us, care for us, speak to us through your word? Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Spirit, would you help me to say what I ought and not what I ought not? Would you help each one to be attentive to your word, ready to repent, to turn away from sin where we need to, and ready to run to you in faith. And so would you work, would you be with us even now? In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit, we're considering these fruit of the Spirit as a virtue list, something that's produced by the Spirit, right, that we can't do it, we can't make ourselves this way, and yet we have a responsibility to cultivate it, right? The story isn't, this is automatic, right? It's walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's like, if if you say we're going to walk in the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. It's like we're walking the way he walks and we're watching him. We go, okay, yep, that's where I'm going to step, that's where I'm going to step. Walking in the Spirit, producing the fruit in us, but we cultivate it too. So in our time together this morning, we're considering the meaning of goodness, the miracle of goodness, the possibility of goodness, and the practice of goodness. So we're going to start with the meaning of goodness. And as Aaron mentioned already when when he was uh, talking earlier Uh, Last week was about kindness, we said in the message then, it's hard sometimes even to distinguish between kindness and goodness. Indeed, it's hard to distinguish those two from gentleness. Uh, Books that cover the fruit of the Spirit often will combine into a single chapter, kindness and goodness, but for reasons I hope will make sense, we are treating goodness separately today. One way to think about uh, goodness as possibly distinct, even though kindness would have this as well. Um, is generosity. Generosity may be one way to think about that distinction, that it would be the opposite of envy on that vice list. And that generosity includes generosity of spirit. When we think of generosity, we think of giving money to causes, Giving money to the church, uh, giving money to people in need, giving money to mission works, and that is certainly a way that God is calling us to be generous, and that's a way that we can look different from how we would look naturally, right? Naturally, we like to hold on to stuff, right? I like to know that I have enough, but having Christ, we have enough, and so we are free to follow him in being generous, but not only with our money, also with our time, with our energy, with our heart. Sometimes we can give money and it's like, well, I'm doing those things and I feel good about myself. But when we're directly dealing with someone who's difficult and we're engaging with them and we're showing them Christ's love and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're called to be generous in a different way. Generous in heart. So generosity includes generosity with finances, but also a generosity of spirit. And as we've said a few times here, all nine of these virtues are related tightly to one another. They work together, right? We can never pick just one, or even four or five, and say that I'm gonna be good at those. Those are my jam, right? I got those, I can do that. Uh, The truth is we can't do any of them by ourselves, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Rob. Right, We, we can't generate this on our own, but as we seek to cultivate them, we don't pick and choose because these are all matters of obedience to God. And as he says in another place, if we break one, we've broken them all. And so we don't get to choose to be good at a few and ignore the rest of them. So just as a quick reminder of how we talked about kindness. So that kindness says and does what is good, and that's where you're like, how are you even distinguishing these, right? Kindness says and does what is good for someone else, whether they deserve it, or not and so as we kind of continue down that thought say how do we even know what is good aren't there sometimes you feel that way what's good in this situation what's the right thing to do now there are lots of other times where it's very clear and we still don't do it because the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit but how do we know what is good and that's part of the problem for us as we live in our society today Whose definition of good do we use? But it's also not a new thing. And that's part of what I want us to take away from this fruit on the spirit of the Spirit. Even though we've been talking about technology a lot and how your phone is changing you and how social media is changing you and how just kind of the digital air we breathe makes it difficult to follow Jesus as we live in an impatient age. But remember that there was a pastor from the 1920s who thought that he lived in an impatient age. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't on Twitter. (laughs) It's not a new thing. Yes, there are particular dangers and difficulties of living today. Challenges to living for Christ in this culture. At the same time, while the technology might have changed, the problem is not the technology. The takeaway is not technology is bad and if I get rid of it all, then I will be following Jesus just right. Because the human heart has not changed. In Isaiah 5, as Isaiah is just working through the woes against God's people who have gone all their own way, one of them, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You're like, are you sure he didn't write that last month or in the last several years? It certainly applies today, but it applied just as much then when God's people were already distorting what was good and what was evil so that people didn't even know how to tell the difference. As we think about good, it has two aspects. It's about turning away from evil, not doing what's bad, but it's also doing what is right. Sometimes we can think about good this way. I'm good, or you might say, well, she's a good girl. She doesn't do the bad stuff. She doesn't run with the bad people She stays away from the bad things, and so she's a good girl. We've probably all kind of thought that way at some point. Oh, they're they're good. They don't do bad. That's part of it, right? We don't want to throw that out, but it's incomplete. It's only half of it. It's about doing good to and for other people. That's why there's a vice list as well as a virtue list in Galatians 5. Goodness is about avoiding evil, But it's also about doing what is right. But still, how do we know what is right and wrong? How do we know what to avoid? And what we are supposed to be doing. So as we think about the meaning of goodness, I want us to consider that God defines goodness. God defines it, and he does it in two ways. First, God is good. God is good. That's what we've been singing about today. That's what scripture readings have been about God is good. He is full of goodness. And so we learn what goodness is from looking at God as he is revealed in his word. And there are so many texts that we could go to. Some that we've gone to already today. I am the good shepherd. And so I have just a few of them. These are a representative sample of hundreds of of texts that tell us of God's goodness. In Exodus 33, when Moses is begging God to stay with them after they have had the golden calf incident, he's saying, I'm not going up with you. And Moses is like, please go up with us. We won't have anything if we don't have you. And God says, okay, I'll go with you. And in Exodus 33, 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. And then the Lord says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, the name Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. When we ask to see God's glory, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Maybe we don't think about God's glory that way. When we want to see him, who is he? What is he? He says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to be gracious, and I'm going to show mercy, even as we sang. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Or thinking of God as a good father. Jesus, as he's speaking in Luke 11, He's talking about giving good gifts to children, right? He's like, even you guys know, right? If they ask for bread, you don't give them a stone, right? That wouldn't be nice. We don't do that to our children. And what does he conclude? Luke eleven thirteen. 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Another one about God being a good father, James 1:17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, with whom is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God, our father. So God is good. That's one way we know is we look at him, we see who he is, we see what he does. He is good, but he also tells us what is good. God is good, and number two, God tells us what is good. So God is good, and we learn what goodness is from listening to God as he has defined it in his word. So we learn what goodness is from looking at God as he's revealed in his word, and we learn what goodness is from seeing how God has defined what is good. So it's not about what we feel. I feel like this is good. We know, if you've lived very long at all, uh, you know that's not a very good measure of what is actually good. We cannot trust our feelings. It's not what the culture tells us is good. This is good. Everyone thinks so. Why not you too? Come along, right? It's like in 1 Peter 4 when they're surprised when you don't join them in their flood of debauchery. But the judge is coming. We need to remember what is actually right and wrong and not just go along because it feels like everyone in the world is heading that direction too. Because goodness is who God is and what he has told us is good. That's what goodness is. We're thinking about the meaning of goodness. It's who God is and it's what he has told us is good because God is good and God tells us what is good. Good. That's the meaning of goodness. Let's consider now the miracle of goodness. The miracle of goodness. Say the miracle of goodness, that doesn't even make any sense to me. Well, it does when we think about this being something we're supposed to actually do, if we're honest, right? Have you tried very hard to be good? If you try very hard to be good, you will find that you cannot be very good, at least not all the time. And as we said a few moments ago, just breaking one of the commandments one time is breaking all of the commandments. And so what is the miracle of goodness? We are not good, but through Christ we are called good. We are not good, but through Christ we are called good. When a ruler came up to Jesus. In Luke 18, and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say to him? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And that's a little confusing to us at first because Jesus is good, right? Jesus is God. But Jesus isn't teaching something about himself in that moment, he's trying to teach that young ruler something about him. So the ruler can learn more of himself. No one is good except God alone, and Jesus goes on to say, you know the commandments, and he lists some of the ten. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and what's the, what's the young man say? I have kept all of these from my youth. I've done it all. That's, that's pretty good. What else? Hopefully we'd already have given up by that point, if we're honest, looking at that list, especially once we know the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus interprets those Says it's not just murder, but if you hate your brother in your heart, it's like, oh man, and my brother's right here too. But what does he say? I've kept them all. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack take everything you have and give it away to the poor. He's like, whoa, right? Can't do that one. That one doesn't work. He said, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. What's Jesus doing? He's putting his finger on his idol. He doesn't even debate with him, even though there's no way this guy actually kept all those commandments all of his life. Jesus doesn't debate with him. He just goes for one more. He says, I know you. (laughs) I know the thing that you will not give up to follow me, and he puts his finger right on it, and the man goes away. Sorrowful, because he was extremely rich. And as the disciples are going, wait a minute, what is going on? Jesus says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Camels uh, don't fit through needle's eyes. I can't even get thread through a needle's eye. We definitely can't, and I'm glad for you that you can, but we definitely can't get a camel through a needle's eye. And so those who heard it understood and said, then who can be saved? Every one of us must reach that point. Who can be saved? And certainly not me. If it's about keeping the law, if it's about giving everything up, I can't do that. I am not willing to go there. I will not do it. What's Jesus' response? What is impossible with man is possible with God. So the question for us is how is that possible? How does that become possible? what's the point here? We are not good. We have not kept the commandments. We are not one of the good people. And sometimes we think that way. There's pretty good people and pretty bad people, and as long as enough of the good people band together and try to do the right things, then we can kind of get the bad out. All right, it reminds me of Batman Begins, and Rachel Dawes is so, she's the good person. She's the crusader before he becomes the caped crusader, And she's telling him, what if the good people do nothing? And then he shows her the gun that he had intended to use to murder someone and says, Rachel, I'm not one of your good people. But part of what we learn is there aren't any good people. It's not that he's not one of the good people. There are none. Romans 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God all have turned aside together they become worthless no one does good not even one the good news of the gospel though is that god who alone is good has done something about our lack of goodness instead of condemning us which he had every right to do he sent his own son for us A couple chapters later, Romans 5, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us like this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the message is not, be good, do good, God will love you. No, it's Christ died for us. The Christian gospel is not a message of moral improvement. It's good news about a miracle. That we who were dead in our trespasses and sins, who deserve God's righteous wrath for all eternity, become sons and daughters through the sacrifice of his one and only beloved Son. That Jesus, through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and powerful resurrection, saves sinners, even ones who break bottles in church parking lots. He gives them his righteousness and calls them good. Are you trusting in Christ and his goodness alone for your salvation today? If not, today can be your day. Turn away from trusting in your sin, your own way of making life work. Lay down your idols. Turn in faith to Christ. He will save you. He will save everyone who comes to him. You can never be good enough, but Jesus has. That's the miracle of goodness, that we who deserve God's wrath are called good because of Christ and his goodness. And now, because we're in Christ, goodness is possible. So there's the meaning of goodness, the miracle of goodness, and now the possibility of goodness. Sometimes where we kind of stop is like, I'm a great sinner. Jesus is a great savior. I'm just going to keep on sinning all my days. Praise the Lord that I get to come to church and sing about the gospel And nothing really changes about my life in between during the week. I just continue to stumble and fall and struggle. And we will all struggle for all of our lives. But when we're made alive in Christ, the real struggle actually begins. Because before, we just loved our sin. We loved going our own way, doing our own thing. But now that we are made alive in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us who teaches us God's ways, who produces these fruits in us. So in the miracle, we are called good. But when we are made alive by the Spirit, we are a new creation, as Second Corinthians 5 says. And so in Christ, we are not only called good, we can become good. Not in a way that would ever earn our way into heaven, right? Let's make that very clear. It's like, okay, now you're saved. Now do all the good things, and I'm watching you. That's not how God is. He's actually empowering the goodness in us, right? If we want to do what is right, Philippians 2, 12, and 13 comes to mind so often, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're like, okay, I got that part. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Yes, Work right? Cultivate this fruit, but it's God who works in you when you want to do what's right and when you actually do what's right. So it's not in a way that we could ever say, look, God, I've done enough, I've been good, and now you should let me in on that basis. But we can grow in goodness for real because we are in Christ who is good and because we are in him. And so if that's kind of foreign for you, if you mainly think about like, I'm not good, good thing, God is merciful to me. This section, the possibility of goodness, is for you. It's for me. Here's an example. Romans 15. Paul's been writing about how everyone's a sinner, right? We read earlier from Romans 3 and then Romans 5, everyone's a sinner, no one's done what's right, we all deserve God's judgment, but we're justified, justified freely by his grace as a gift through Christ Jesus. Right near the end of this letter in Romans 15, 14, in the kind of the instruction part of the letter, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Same word from Galatians 5. That you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Is that something you're even thinking is possible? (laughs) To say, like, I am filled with goodness? We as a church are filled with goodness? This is what God is calling us to. And we are called to goodness even and especially in the face of evil in that same instructional section Romans 12:21 do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. You say, well Paul he was just a little off there. First, don't say that. <laughs> Second, <laughs> Peter as he's writing about living in a difficult age, living in a place and a time where it's hard to be a Christian 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. There's the don't do, right? Don't do evil, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. as they may see your good deeds And so for Paul and for Peter, it's not, well, just keep rejoicing in your salvation. Nothing's really going to change in this life, but just be glad that Jesus has been gracious to you. He says, no, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that even when they're speaking evil about you, saying, look at those people, look how hateful they are, look how wrong they are. They'd just be super confused about all these good deeds that you're doing to them. God wants that to be our testimony as his people, just a few verses later, in case we're wondering if he really means it. it says, for this is the will of God. Our ears perk up at that, I wanna know the will of God. You know what the will of God is for your life, for our church? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That is God's will for your life in this age. Is there a lot of ignorance out there? A lot of ignorance about who we are and what we're about out there. How do we fight that? We fight that by our good works. And so Paul, Peter concludes in 1 Peter four nineteen. therefore let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we are called to do good and it is possible, not by ourselves, not in our own strength, never in a way that we could merit God's favor, but because we belong to him, because his Holy Spirit works in us, because Christ is in us and we are in Christ, his goodness can be worked out through us. That is his will for your life. In Christ, God's goodness is ours, both legally, as in justification, when we are declared righteous, when we are called good, and really, increasingly, through sanctification, as by his grace we become good. But again, none of us ever do this perfectly, right? James says we all stumble in many ways, and we can tell by our own experience that he is exactly right. So the message isn't, I figured out how to be good, and you guys should all be good like me. Because we all stumble in many ways. And yet, he calls us to seek goodness. He calls us to pursue goodness. He calls us to cultivate goodness because goodness is possible for those who are alive to God through Christ Jesus who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. As one pastor says, we are to act the miracle. And so now let's move finally to the practice of goodness. The practice of goodness. So that we can be good is a miracle, but it's also possible because we have Christ and the Holy Spirit. So how do we practice it? How do we act the miracle? One, we need to know what goodness is, right? So this is kind of reaching back to the meaning of goodness. If we don't know what goodness is, we definitely can't do it. Right. If you don't know the right thing to do, it's almost impossible to do the right thing. So we look to God and his character and how he defines goodness in his word to avoid the confusion of our own hearts and the confusion of the culture around us. Second on that one, we need to stay clear on the truth that any goodness that flows from us or comes out of us flows from our union with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's never a day when we go, hey, I'm pretty good. There's never a day. We never reach that. And yet there is real goodness that comes in our lives, but it always flows from our union with Christ and the power of the Spirit. It's not what we muster up on our own. So we don't hear this and go like, all right, I'm gonna be good tomorrow. I'm gonna be good the rest of today. I can do it. It's like, no, cast yourself on the Lord. Ask for his help it's what he does in and through us by his grace, for his glory, and for others' good. And so we need to ask God to help us to know what is good, to discern the good that he wants us to do, particularly because we can't, each one of us, do every good thing that's possible. And so we want to walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit and be asking, Lord, help me to see the good that you want me to do Today, in your strength for your glory and for the good of others. And then finally, and this is kind of the main thing that I want to do with this practice of goodness, we need to store up goodness. We need to store up goodness because we face tests every day of our lives. And the kids are like, no, tests, I hate tests. Some of you are like, Prepare for tests, study for tests. Who needs to do that, right? I'm glad that you're that smart. Hopefully at some point in your education, you'll get to a point where you need to study for tests. It might be college. Some people are very surprised when they get to college at how bad of students they are because they've been getting good grades all their life without working. And then one day it's like, oh, this is stuff I don't know. It's like, yeah, hopefully you get there. We face tests every day of our lives. Not the academic kind, so kids, you're okay. Okay but we face the spiritual kind and we need to be prepared for them because Jesus teaches us that goodness comes from the heart. When we think about goodness, we can mainly think about good deeds that we do, but the good deeds flow from, Jesus says, a good heart or evil deeds flow from an evil heart. So how do we speak and act when things go wrong? When things get difficult, what's our default? What just comes out of us? What comes out is what's already in there. Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure, or what he's stored up, the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks I've heard this illustrated uh, by a tea bag, right? What happens when we get in hot water, right? If you're a tea bag, what comes out is whatever flavor of tea was already in the bag, right? If it was mint tea, it's mint. You can't get anything else. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. The hot water didn't make it mint, right? It drew out of it what was in there, and when we face hot water in our lives, we love to blame the circumstances, right? If they hadn't said that, then I wouldn't need to, right? And it's not only our children who do stuff like that, right? It's us too, or like a juice box. Maybe this would be more for the kids. How many times have adults gently placed the straw inside a juice box, only to have an excited child squeeze just a little too hard and lose almost all of it. And usually it's something red and it's on like white clothes, right? So it's a double problem, right? Not only do I not get to drink it, now these clothes will always be some shade of red or pink, depending on how many times we try to get it out. But what comes out when that happens? Juice, right? We might wish it were water, but it's juice because that's what was in the box. What else comes out in those moments? Sometimes harsh words from a parent or a teacher or a caregiver. How could you? It's like, they're four. They squeeze things too hard. But how could we treat them that way? It's because that's what's in us. You get whatever is inside. And so it's important to think about what we're filling ourselves with. What are you filling yourself with day by day? What information is really important for us to know and to feel? What just spills out of you when you're squeezed, when the water gets hot? Is it what is good? Is it Movies, what you learn from them, or news, because we've got to be up on the news. Super important. It's not unimportant. It's not the most important. What's going on with the sports teams, right? Heard some conversation even today about what the Sixers need to do now that the season's over. It's like, here's what they need to do. They need to get this guy, get rid of that guy. Like, we've all got it figured out. I don't know if the, um, the Sixers brass has it figured out either, but we tend to think like, okay, that's really important. Right? We we may know the entire Eagles 53-man roster, plus half the practice squad. Like, yeah, that's important. And it's not bad if that's your thing. Or music, right? It sticks with us. So you can recite lyrics to songs from some of you from 40 and 50 years ago, right? It just comes on and it's like here we go. Every word is just what comes out of us because it's in there. Or when someone brings up your favorite hobby, right? And it's like, now I'm good. None of the other stuff makes any sense to me, but I'm in the zone now and I can talk for days. And it's not bad to talk about any of these things, but what flows out of us? So for us in our household, uh, there is a certain list, It's relatively short list so that we can learn a lot from it, um, of movies that we Enjoy. And of any number of these movies, you could say like one line, sometimes a single word with the right inflection. And everyone in the house is like, ah, right? And you can do the whole rest of the scene. And sometimes you're doing then you're like picking up on the next scene and the scene after that and the scene after that. And it's like, we need to watch that movie. It's like I feel like we just did. We're good. (laughs) Right? I've gotten all the enjoyment that I would get just in these few moments with you guys. And it's fun. But it comes out of us so easily. Why? Because we've taken time with it. Something we've decided like we enjoy. And so we sit all together and we take it in. And it's now in us. And it comes out whenever we need it. We don't have to study. Right? It's not that kind of preparing that we're talking about. Most preparing for tests is like last minute preparing. But the best preparing is the preparing all along. Storing it up. But we can fill ourselves with things that are worse than movies, news, sports, music, and hobbies. Think of this first list in Galatians 5. We can fill ourselves with hatred, with envy, with judgment, with gossip, with slander, with adultery, with murder. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, out of the good person comes good things. Out of the evil and what have stored up comes evil evil things. Eventually, what we are on the inside comes out. I have a long quote. It'll take a couple slides, but I want it up there so you could read along as I'm reading it. This is from um, an article by Trevin Wax just from the last like week or week and a half on storing up goodness. He says this, store up gunpowder and you'll blow up when something lights the fuse. Store up bitterness and your words will ooze with resentment when someone crosses you. Store up pride, and your speech will drip with mockery and condescension. Store up envy, and you'll find yourself giving voice to biting remarks that chip away at another's character or credibility. Store up judgment, and another's failures will trigger harsh and overly critical words. But... Store up grace, and you'll return good for evil. Store up compassion, and you'll pray when persecuted. Store up conviction, and you'll speak with courage when everyone else compromises. Store up humility, and you'll acknowledge when you're weak and fess up when you fail. Store up gratitude, and you'll bless those who grumble. Store up faith, and you'll draw closer to God when the trial arrives. Store up love and you'll speak with wisdom and grace when everyone else falls prey to anger. Or as we read in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. So I was reflecting on what's inside of us will eventually come out. There are a couple ways that that happens And Sue mentioned uh, earlier, Tim Keller's passing this week. Uh, Probably a month ago, there's someone else on the, not quite other end of the evangelical spectrum, but more on the fundamental end of the evangelical spectrum, who passed away. Uh, How many of you, and it might be just a few hands, how many of you are familiar with Patch the Pirate? Okay. I see those hands. For those of you who don't know, that's totally fine. So Patch the Pirate, his real name was Ron Hamilton. And he, uh, if you get into his stuff, I'm actually on some of it, but that's just, that's just free. Um, so he was a musician um, and a songwriter, and he wrote tons of children's musicals, essentially, uh, from like the 70s till relatively recently. But over the last several years, he suffered from dementia. He passed away about a month ago. And as I was considering, like, at some point what's inside comes out. Ron Hamilton was one of those that at his death, people who agreed with his theology and philosophy and people who disagreed sharply with some of his theology and philosophy, the people who knew him had almost the exact same things to say. Even people who say, we had big disagreements, said, but I knew that guy. And he traveled a lot, was loved by kids all over the country and probably all over the world. And he was unfailingly kind when he was in public, when he was wearing that uniform, when he was dressed up as Patch the Pirate. But the same grace that let him write a song when he lost his eye to cancer, that's where the patch came from, late 70s, early 80s, and then a kid was like, you look like a pirate. It's like hey, there's an idea. We can work with this. And he became Patch the Pirate, but he had written a song called Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. And when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. The same grace that God gave him to write that song some 40 years ago is the grace that was operative in his life all along so that he lived with a joy. And some of you who've been around or had family members who suffered from dementia, you know that what's inside, because what's happening is you're losing control. What's inside is what came, comes out. And what came out of Ron Hamilton in his last years was non-stop joy. Smiling, hearing the songs of the faith, and just having this biggest smile across his face. It's what he loved. He loved to hear the old story of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. He knew his only hope was in Christ. And he lived, by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, a genuinely good life. And so what person after person said in their tributes to him was what I've seen in many tributes regarding Tim Keller over the last couple days. That what he was in public he also was in private. And it's so easy, especially for Christian leaders, to have well, here's what I am on the platform, and then here's how I am at home, or here's how I am in these other settings where no one will know how I treated someone. And we're tempted toward those same things, whether you ever get up on the platform here or not, right? We put on our best face, everything's fine, I'm good. We're all so kind to each other here, but then in the car on the way home, or maybe in the car on the way here. (laughs) It's different. And so I'm grateful, as Sue expressed earlier, and Stephen Smallman, I didn't know him personally, but from what I've heard, there's similar stories of his consistent character, consistent goodness that's not to the praise of Stephen Smallman and not to the praise of Tim Keller and not to the praise of Ron Hamilton, but to the praise, of the glory, of the grace of the one who saved each one. And by his grace, may that be our story too. That when we're in a situation, whether it's facing dementia one day, whether it's facing pancreatic cancer and knowing death is on its way soon, but we're going to be okay and you're going to be okay because of Jesus. By God's grace and the work of his spirit, when we're squeezed When the water is hot, when what is inside will for sure come out, we want his goodness to spill out of us onto others. No one is good but God, but through Christ we can be called good and bit by bit can become good. We have his goodness flowing through us, through our union with him, and we rest in his goodness to us. May we know his goodness to us. And may his goodness flow through us today, tomorrow, and to the day of eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you are so, so good to us. Thank you, thank you that you do not hold our sins against us. Would you help, perhaps, if there is one who is not yet trusting in you, would you Open their eyes to your goodness, and when they would they turn to you in faith today? And for those who are trusting in you, God, would you work in us? Would you, by your Spirit, work through us the goodness that is yours, that is Christ's, that is the Spirit's? And would we, by your grace, though imperfectly, would we increasingly reflect your goodness in our homes? in our church, on our block, to our co-workers, to to all the world around us. And would you let it be said of us that when we were squeezed, goodness flowed out, not because we're so good, but because Jesus is such a good Savior. Would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen.